This is Climate Conversations, a podcast by ClimateX, the online community building a movement to solve our climate crisis. Welcome to Climate Conversations. I'm Rajesh Kosirangan, and I'm joined by Laura Howells. Hi, Rajesh. How are you? I'm pretty good. Good, good. Um, knee deep in plastic bags. What do you think? <laughs> um, yeah, I was reading an article on the BBC News recently saying that we produce so much waste plastic every year that it fills something like 34 times Manhattan Island up to kind of ankle deep plastic, which is a visualization that really uh, grabbed my attention. It's it's hard to uh, it's hard to imagine or quantify quite so much plastic, but what can we do yeah, about it? And plastic finds its ways in so many things in the Pacific Ocean, in the stomachs of cows. I and and I have to tell you that when plastics first came out in India when I was a kid, they were so rare that I used to hoard plastic bags. Really? Yeah. Gosh. I in mean fact, like- my grandmother never threw away a plastic bag ever. Amazing. As you, I mean, my parents are like, they, they're really into recycling. And so there's a there's a cupboard in our house somewhere that is like chock-a-block full of plastic bags that they then like, they put in the boot of their car and they take to the supermarket and they use it every single week. So they're, like, they're so committed to it. And I like, think it's great. But I mean, I remember backpacking around Thailand when I was a teenager and there were, you know, plastic bottles washing up on these beautiful beaches that 20 years ago would have been so pristine. Indeed. But I mean, I mean... The question is, what can we do about it? Like there's, I know that I've seen some interesting innovations recently about people trying to get rid of plastic bottles and instead creating these, I don't know how to explain it, like bubbles almost that hold water within them. Yes. And they're looking to turn that into a, an innovation that makes its way into supermarkets. Yeah. I mean, there have been many, so certainly in India, people use earthenware. So instead of using plastic, use a biodegradable material, mm-hmm. clay. Oh yeah, fantastic. Yeah, especially for hot things, not for cold stuff. Nice. So, yeah. And uh, I know in the UK, I can't remember if it was this year or last year now, but they introduced a plastic bag tax. So if you go to any shop or supermarket and you want to use a plastic bag, you're being charged like 5p, 10p, something like that to try and discourage people from from using it. I don't know how effective it is yet. I guess that hopefully there'll be some data on that soon. But Actually, I think in Cambridge and some of the other towns in this area, Plastic bags have been essentially banned, mm-hmm. and even paper bags you now have to pay for them. Oh, interesting! Yes. I mean, that's a great, a great yes, way of tackling cents. it. Nice. Yes, and I think that it has. I know by talking to people at Trader Joe's, it has reduced their paper bag usage by quite a bit. Fantastic. Yeah. I went to. Um, I was in Boston Logan the other day, and what I really like about a lot of American airports is. Um, when you have to get rid of your water going through security, you can just dump out the water and keep the empty bottle. Whereas a lot of other international airports I travel to, you have to throw away your bottle and buy another one on the other side, which I absolutely hate because what an absolute waste. We've had some fantastic posts on plastic on Mm. Climate X. So there are these new ideas that are essentially about fishing for plastic, right? Which I kind of like because... I don't like fishing for fish, so fishing <laughs> for plastic, I'm totally fine with. And so what's the aim then? You fish for plastic and what do you do with it? I mean, I'm assuming that it'll either be recycled mm-hmm. or go into a landfill. So, but I actually, I should find out more about exactly how that plastic is going to be used or reused. Uh, yeah, I'd say it's an exciting idea. What, what not concerns me, but like 
what pops into my mind is how can this be done on scale? Like I would love to see some kind of innovation or model that allows us to maybe fish for plastic or, you know, gain plastic from the ocean in a way that's that can be done en masse because uh, in my head, I'm picturing like a, a couple of guys sitting around with fishing lines on the river. But um, I, I would love to see how that can be done on scale. I think the idea, at least a scalable hypothesis, is you have these massive lines, just like deep sea fishing, where right. you're essentially lining an entire sector of the ocean. What I found interesting about this article is that people are tracking plastic just like they track fish. Right, so you are using these ocean patterns to see where the plastic is clustered, so mm. that you essentially go after the—I won't say low-hanging plastic, the <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, like it's great to get rid of what we've already got, but what stands out to me is—is is it ever going to make a difference unless we stop producing so much plastic and adding to it? I—I I think I agree. I agree that it's a short-term effort to gather the plastic that's already there, but I think the long-term solution is not to release it in the first place. And what's interesting to me is that there's like there are five countries responsible for something like 60-odd percent of the plastic, the waste plastic in our environment. All right, tell us who the offenders are. Okay, you ready? Yes. Um, so the biggest offenders, China. I tell you what. There's four left. Can you guess what they are? <laughs> Let me think. The United States? No. Wow. Yeah, would you believe it? I think this whole list is going to really surprise you. Are these the five biggest producers? This is the waste that comes from these five countries. So the five biggest waste producers. So Plastic waste producers. Mm -hmm. India? No. What? Okay, so China? Yes. Which you have already mentioned. Russia? No. Oh, wow. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> this is getting to be an interesting... Give me a clue. Um, okay, give you a clue. Think Southeast Asia. Southeast Asia. Vietnam. Yes. And I'd say keep thinking along the same lines as Southeast Asia. Indonesia. Yes. So that's three out of five. Mm -hmm. More Southeast Asia. More Southeast Asia, yeah. Thailand. Yes. Okay. You've got one and, left. And even more Southeast Asia. I guess that's where it happens. <laughs> uh, if it is Vietnam, Laos? No. That's too small. So what in, what are, what might even be, Burma? Not no. Burma. Do you want me to give it away, the last one? Go for it. The Philippines is the our Philippines. last place. Yeah. So these must be the, wow, this is where I'm guessing the kind of production happens like what, I guess what? so so if if these five countries if they reduced their plastic leakage by 65% it would reduce global waste by 45% so they make up a massive amount of our plastic all right i guess the um lesson for the day is southeast asia mm it's very rare isn't it that you yes. find a list like this and you're not because i automatically go us yeah. some big players in europe like it's very, very strange to think that they're responsible, but I, I, yeah, I wonder why it is. Maybe it's the production. So the article that I grabbed that from was Fast Company, and that yeah, I thought that was really interesting. I'll add that link into the uh, more info section of this podcast. I like Fast podcast. Company. Yeah. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, maybe we need to make this a little feature every now and then. We'll do some guessing work on the worst, the worst different polluters for all these different areas. Yeah. So plastic, plastic everywhere, <laughs> uh, but. There's still, I think there are a few places where 
and fewer every day where there's no plastic. But even those places seem to be having troubles. Mm, yeah. So I was um, chatting with my husband at the weekend, having a little look at some photos on uh, BBC News of the massive sinkholes in Siberia, which I'm assuming is a place that's probably not going to be touched by too much plastic. <laughs> Siberia? Yeah. Gulag Archipelago. <laughs> I, I mean, I feel like whenever I think of Siberia, I think of one or two things. One is... Cold places. Cold. Where you, <laughs> cold, yes. <laughs> we do not think of Siberia. Oh, you never know. There might be summer vacations in Siberia oh. in a few decades. No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but but the two things that come to my mind are, and they're both, ro one is romantic and one is not. Okay. The romantic thing is I had always wanted to take the train across the Siberian Railroad, yes. right? the nine days. In fact, my friend Grisha and I wanted to do that. We had wanted to take the Trans-Siberian Railroad from now St. Petersburg to mm -hmm. uh, Vladivostok. Right. Okay, so that's your romantic thought that comes to mind with Siberia. What's your less romantic thought? being exiled, mm, yeah. where I use the term <laughs> exile in a very euphemistic yeah. way, <laughs> as in hard labor. Mm, yeah, I think exiled is a very polite way of putting it. <laughs> yes. And I think that in between the two, of course, I mean, it's such a huge peninsula. Massive, yeah. Massive. We know so little, except that every once in a while, something happens that everybody wants to find out about, mm -hmm. right? Like, I remember reading about the Tungushka explosion in 1908, right. where something exploded. UFO types think it was um, <laughs> it was Roswell before it became Roswell, <laughs> nice. right? But I think that the scientist types who want to spoil the party think it was a, something, a, a rock from outer space that landed in the best possible spot, pretty much. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, there are very few places more sparsely populated than uh, than Siberia. But these days, Siberia is, uh, there's a bubble bursting, let's mm, put it that way. It's been in the news quite a bit recently. Yeah. I think I think the article I read about it re this week was calling it the gateway to hell or something like that. Yeah, I was thinking, you know, champagne, but at a very large <laughs> scale, right? Like, imagine you are an Inuit, uh, you are a native Siberian, mm -hmm. and suddenly a bubble bursts underneath you. And I mean, there's a 70 meter hole in the earth. What do you do? I mean, it's it's insane. I, I can't even, I couldn't even picture it until I saw some of the images online. I couldn't quite imagine how, how massive they were, but it, it looks like almost like they never end and they're so deep and so black. And uh, it, it's quite a terrifying thing to behold. So if I was an Inuit <laughs> and I was suddenly affronted by that, I, 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 I don't know what I'd do. Run. <laughs> Very far. And it releases methane, which is a lot worse than carbon dioxide. And and I'm I'm assuming like these sinkholes are big enough that the methane that the change in methane is going to be measurable and impactful, right? I mean the individual these large bubbles perhaps not. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not a scientist or I'm not a climate scientist. And but nevertheless it tells you that there is so from what I've read, there's more methane trapped in the, um, and therefore more carbon trapped in these tundra permafrost mm -hmm. than there is carbon in the atmosphere right now. And that's a really terrifying <laughs> thought that I really don't want to have to think about tonight. Right. So if all of that gets released, then 
yeah, then all bets are off. We're screwed. Yes. <laughs> it's all over. Exactly. I mean, like, the, the problem is, like you say, Siberia is so vast. It's not like you can plan for it, prepare for it, do anything about it. This landscape is is unmanageable in its in its size and its in its coldness. You know, these if this keeps happening, if we continue to have these these bubbles bursting and this methane release, you know, what happens? What happens to our you know our, our ozone layer? I would have to call my favorite climate scientist to answer that question. <laughs> now, yeah. But I do think my sense is we can't do anything about it. Like mm. if, if it is indeed, if it's at that, like I think what we are all hoping is it doesn't happen at that kind of rate that there's absolutely no controlling it whatsoever. Right. But it, I guess it puts more pressure on us from our side of things, from the human side of things to go, there are going to be natural events in the environment that we can do absolutely nothing about. And so reducing our own emissions and, and doing the things that we know we have some control over that's the only way we can we can mitigate some of these these massive risks. I would hope so. And I also think on the flip side, if it does start accelerating, I mean, I, I don't know when we'll find out, mm-hmm. but if it happens and then I can also imagine very sort of extreme measures that would have to be taken in response to it. Right. It's like, um, it's like Yellowstone. My dad and I were discussing Yellowstone the other day and it's kind of if it happens, it happens. And there's kind of nothing you can do about it. It's so humongous. Its scale is so vast that literally, you know, if there were to be some kind of eruption and activity, there's nothing that the you know North American continent can do anything about. So which makes me think of a kind of a strange contradiction, which is on the one hand, we think of climate change as something human costs, right? We call it the Anthropocene, like when humans cause so much mm-hmm. change that they are a geological force. But at the same time, once the train leaves the station, humans are no longer in control, yeah, right? Absolutely. Like So it is the anti-Anthropocene once the Anthropocene <laughs> is over. So it feels like we got this small window where we feel like we are ruling the earth. So and powerful, then, yeah. And then... Boom. Well, it'll take one massive environmental disaster to really put us in our place, I think, and uh, show us that, you know, we can be the most technologically advanced nation, place, you know, like, you know, species. And yet, you know, a single event could wipe us out. That's it. It's all over. I remember reading Arthur C. Clarke's The City and the Stars. If you haven't read it, you should. Okay. Yeah, I'll get on that. And there's this little phrase in it which has always struck me. So the most of the action happens hundreds of millions of years after what's being described. Mm-hmm. But it seems humans were very, very technologically advanced. They went to the stars and they saw something that was so much more powerful than them that they then came back and said, we got to go back to the drawing table. <laughs> right? And we need again. to fix ourselves. Yeah. And the lesson was the stars are not for man. <laughs> right? And and unfortunately, it looks like it's not clear if Earth is for man either. No, yeah, we're not doing a very good job of it, are we? <laughs> yeah. And so I want to think about Siberia because Siberia, the vastness of Siberia is still one of those places which is sort of not human. Yeah, it's kind of defeated us. Yeah. And we need to pay some attention to that. Absolutely. I mean, I can't even imagine the difficulty that governments, people are going to face in trying to access that landscape and do something about it, even just measure it. Make Siberia great again.
Well, looks like we're coming to the end of our episode and it's time for our burning question. <laughs> Go on then. What's the burning question this week, Rajesh? Since we've been talking about plastic, what are your top five ideas of getting rid of all the plastic that we have on this planet. Oh, I like that. Okay, so what we need is some good solutions, the best ways of getting rid of that that plastic, or maybe reducing the plastic we're using so that there's less waste plastic. Yep, reduce, replace, mm. reuse, however. Okay, so that, a shout out to all of our members and listeners. We would love for you to get in touch with us and tell us how you think the best solutions can approach getting rid of waste plastic. Um, as always, you can get in touch with us either on the ClimateX site, which is climatex.mit.edu. Rajesh and I are both members on the site. You can follow us there too. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're on Facebook and Twitter. You can just search for us. And if you want to get in touch with us directly and you know pose a question for us, ask a question, maybe suggest a guest, you can email us at climatex underscore feedback at mit.edu and we'll get back to you. And we look forward to hearing what you have to say. Yeah, definitely. Great chatting to you, Rajesh. Bye, Laura. See ya. Climate Conversations is brought to you by MIT's ClimateX, an online community dedicated to solving the climate crisis. Visit us at climatex.mit.edu and join the conversation.